40 here. Remember the big uh, argument between Steven Crowder and the Ben Shapiro crowd at the Daily Wire? Apparently, the Daily Wire had offered Steven Crowder $50 million for four years. So any outfit that is offering Steven Crowder $50 million for four years, that's not primarily about business, right? There's something else going on. And I spent a lot of time this week reading Chuck Johnson's Substack. And I think some of what Chuck Johnson has to say is insane. Uh, other parts of what he has to say, I think, are important. And I like how he digs into the seamy world of Silicon Valley, venture capital, and right-wing influences, what's really going on there. And we have breaking news today about what happened with the stabbing death of tech executive Bob Lee, the accused assailant Nima Momini, right, had been arguing Mr. Lee in, in, a, in a car over whether or not something inappropriate had happened between Bob Lee and Momini's younger sister. And then Momini proceeded to stab uh, Bob Lee three times. And looking at uh, Chuck Johnson's had, you know, a lot of interesting blog posts, in 2023 i've read them all but uh he kind of gives you at times the under news what's uh what's going on that doesn't hit the headlines so this is what he wrote about uh, bob lee says that uh, i caught around a friend witnessed bob lee doing hard drugs dozens of times bob lee liked drugs bob lee bought drugs bob lee liked orgies bob lee liked crypto does that remind you of anyone yeah sam bankman freed so we see how many Silicon Valley executives and reg regulators get compromised by drugs and prostitutes. And that's why they look the other way on enforcement, precisely because they are dirty. And it's kind of similar to what's going on with right-wing influencers. So Nick Fuentes has been doing a stream today talking about how Milo tried to sleep with him and how you know all these people tried to take advantage of him. So let's see if uh, Nick's still going. Uh, Breitbart yeah. is owned by Israel. Claremont is owned by Israel. Fox News is owned by Israel. Fox News is owned by the Murdochs, and the Murdochs donated to Netanyahu's campaign. Netanyahu stayed at Rupert Murdoch's apartment in London when he visited the United Kingdom. So this idea that, like, oh, you know, we're like Republicans. I'm not a Republican. I got, you know, what have Republicans ever done for me? They don't secure the border. They're not anti-war. They're not protectionist. They're not in favor of tariffs. Like the Republican Party is is equally as bad as the Democrats. And people say, and this is why I was so anti-Republican in 2020, because I said, look, you know, they're telling us to hold the line and all this bullshit. I'm like, this is the same congressional leadership that wouldn't give Trump $2 billion for a border wall in the first two years of the first term. I remember, because I covered it every single day, when Trump delivered his package for the border wall. It was in January 2018. He said, I need 17. And, and in fall 2017, specifically October 2017, Trump floated the idea of an amnesty for the DACA recipients. Then he comes forward in January 18, and he says, uh, you know, I, I want this grand bargain. I want... 17 billion for a 30 foot 1000 mile concrete border wall i want six additional billion okay we'll keep an eye on uh any any highlights from today's nick fuentes 
live stream, but he's responding to the, these postings here by Milo Yiannopoulos about uh, Ali Alexander. Okay, sinister music. So Milo seems to have the dirt on everyone on the, on the right. So the Ali files, Nicholas, 15. So Milo's been posting all these screenshots. Nicholas was 15 years old when Ali Alexander asked him for sexually explicit photographs. So the young man was supposedly heterosexual, but he sent Akbar several images. The Ali files has obtained screenshots of these interactions that show Ali Akbar committing multiple child sex crimes. So Nicholas was now 21 years old and a high-profile America First supporter. So Ali and I, um, we used to talk in like uh, 2017. At the time, I was sort of uh, naive and I didn't have uh, the you know connections and uh, I wasn't as experienced with uh, you know the, the people in this political circle as I am now. So I was kind of uh, I didn't I didn't see anything unusual at the time. Although Akbar insists on using the encrypted signal app for the majority of their interaction, Snapchat messages have survived, which show Ali. In 2017, Ali was, uh, you know, talking to me on uh, Snapchat and, uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, solicit some stuff, saying stuff like I should uh, be, I should fly out to Texas and uh, be his intern and tell my parents that I was going to a swim meet or something. The best way to describe it would just be sort of, uh, you know, inappropriate, I guess, to uh, be talking to like a, you know, a younger, uh, a younger guy when you're, you know, I don't know how old Ollie is. So Ali intimated he would pay for the images, never did. Conversation records show Akbar calling Nicholas his puppy. Wanting to meet up with this I kid think in person. Nick is 100% aware. I don't think there's any way he couldn't be aware of uh, that uh, background because Milo, um, around the time of the last AFCAT conference, was uh, putting together a list of uh, people who had these experiences with uh, Ali. I'm not exactly sure what he specifically uh, brings to the table. got to hold the line guys against degeneracy so yeah death in music death in venice music here from milo <laughs> uh so yeah a whole lot of degeneracy i trust that nick space. knows what he's doing and that he's working with people um that he needs to be working with i, I can only assume there has to be something uh, you know, he does have a lot of uh, connections. I know that uh, Ali is, you know, very well connected. That, that's basically what I can assume. Um, I don't really have a whole lot beyond that, honestly. <laughs> so Nicholas was 15 when Ali Alexander Akbar asked him for sexually explicit photos. So... Long, long thread here about this dark, no, very well uh, dark time in America first. Six years, Nicholas has remained silent. 
Uh, set your limitations. Okay, this is from Milo Yiannopoulos. All right. Then we've got uh, Jade McNeil here. And I want to organize a massive movement politically to take over the country. And that involves a great deal of associations. And sometimes they're not all good. It's as simple as that. If you have a problem with that, well, you try to build something. That's what I would say. I've got sympathy here for Nick's position, right? If you are trying to build something, then you have to frequently make deals with the devil. On the other hand, if you're simply primarily trying to build your own career, then it's less palatable what you're doing. Our countries and movements and things are going to be ground to pieces because of bad faith attacks over sexual impropriety. If we're talking about rape and murder and things like that, you know, okay. But when we're talking about we're talking about flirting, give me a fucking break. Honestly. Yeah, and, you, and I know that's not a good look, whatever. But that's how I feel about it, to tell you the truth. That that's going to be, that's, they think that's a silver bullet. Well, but this guy flirted with people who were 15. Yeah, and that's gross. You know, that's fucking gross. I think anybody would say it's gross. It's gross because it's gay. It's gross because it goes against the age. But oh, this is some great moral condemnation. Yeah, okay, fucking guy that tells everybody he converted, he's still married. Okay, guy that's talking about going to Hollywood sex parties and making jokes about sucking priest dicks. Give me a fucking break. I thought about a lot over the weekend, you know, while I was meditating on the agony. Other people were attacking me. Uh, but that's the same thing that Jesus went through was mockery, ridicule, humiliation, false allegations. And you can't, you can't answer it. You can't defend it. I was moved by the fact that Pontius Pilate was impressed with uh, Jesus' demeanor. That Jesus stood accused and faced death, but he was stoic. And that's really all that you can be, is obedient and, and uh, resolved in a situation like that. That's it. That's all you can do. Because you're never going to beat the synagogue of Satan with lies. Wow, he's just like Jesus. I mean, yeah, I, I see see the similarities. But guys, we got to fight to take back our country from the Democrats who are satanic pedophiles. And if you get out there and fight, yeah, you'll you'll make some enemies, but you'll you'll also make some great friends. So, in through the show, mm -hmm. I said to you as soon as you said that to me that everyone I am close to is a result, including my wife, is a result of my being a public figure. If you're a public figure with values, you're very lucky because if you have really good values, it's not easy to meet a lot of people. And But if you're a public figure with these values, it's, it's infinitely easier. It's really amazing. I've been reflecting on that a lot over the past few weeks. That when Dennis says everyone in his life, you're not exaggerating. That's right. I mean, if we go through the roster, inc yes. including your wife, me, I mean, right, you, Robert uh, Florzak, uh, who I had on my show, Alan, I mean, all of these people, the a lot of the Shabbat crew, oh, right, of they're course. all because they listen to you and reach out to you. Or in the cases of uh, the two rabbis who were at our uh, Shabbat dinners, uh, they were students of mine. So it was, again, I, was, I, was, I, wasn't, I didn't have a radio show at the time. I got it at the end of that work with them, but it doesn't matter. All of it is a result of that. It's been a very, very lucky thing in my life. Well, as you like to say of me and others who take to your work um, when before we were liberal, you get half the credit because it's, it's a testament to you that you don't think of yourself as sort of above it. Like, oh, I'm not going to become friends with my fans. There are a lot of famous people who treat their fans in a transactional way. You, you marry your fans. You become best friends with your fans. Yeah. You know, like you really. You yeah, I mean, that's so much better.
Now, not everyone who goes public and becomes a public figure is going to, you know, attract good people into their life. It it, uh, it, it depends on what's in you, depends on the context, the, the situation. Uh, some people are just not cut out for being public figures and uh, other people can stand the heat and then therefore use the benefits of the heat of, of being in, in public. But uh, yeah, kind of incredible where Dennis says everyone he's close to is because he is a public figure. Wow. And uh, his wife number three started out as a, as a fan. So here's Dennis from today's show. Over the lockdowns, of course, there was nowhere to go, like cruising. Anyway, it's good to be back. I'll tell you where I was. I was in Mexico uh, all this week. I was in Cancun, which is the far east corner of Mexico. It, it's as long to fly to Cancun from Los Angeles as it is uh, to fly to the east coast. Four and a half hours. It's, it's really remarkable, uh, the distances here. And I was the uh, featured speaker at a... Passover retreat where about 1,500 people attended and where I spoke three times. And my kids and their kids uh, were there, and it was, uh, it, was a very, it was a glorious time for me. I was at a hotel the likes of which I had never seen in years of very fancy hotels for all sorts of retreats. It, it, it was a world unto itself. And um, anyway, I am very rested. I am back, although I will be flying a tremendous amount. I'm going to Europe and back three times. Uh, in the next six weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> the reason I didn't broadcast two of those days from Mexico, which I wanted to, was uh, my my syndicators are very intent on having the video uh, up and excellent of the show, and that was not doable in this case. So how do you fly around the world and deliver speeches? Like, how do you get the energy to be as productive as Dennis Prager? And that is you get energy from the people you're interacting with. So at a very young age, people were drawn to Dennis Prager. He was elected class president from first grade through to 12th grade. And adults, when he was a kid, liked to talk to him. So I've had like 5% of that, you know, <laughs> that level of uh, intense, you know, positive reaction. So there are occasions I walk into a room and yes, the room does seem to light up. Or at least some individuals in the room seem to light up when I enter a room. But uh, Dennis Prager, when he walks into a room, he really does have an enormous impact on the room. Like people get a charge from seeing Dennis Prager and Prager is very extroverted. He gets a, a charge from, from being seen. And so this combination of charges that fills you up with energy and allows you to do all sorts of things that you can't do otherwise. I spent last night at a Mashiach Seder. So getting together with, you know, Chabad Lubavitch Jews and uh, celebrating the, the final hours of, the, of Passover was an incredibly energizing event. So if you can get on the same page with people, connect with people and, you know, exchange that emotional energy, get a charge from each other, it enables you to create things, produce things, to be productive and to be joyful, which then attracts even more people to you that you would not otherwise be. And so much of what we call extroversion is simply the result of people having positive experiences with people that they're interacting with or seeing. Uh, you're getting a charge from seeing someone else. They get a charge from seeing you. You both get filled up with emotional energy, and then you become naturally more extroverted. Other people who are quote-unquote introverted, they've had a lot of disappointing social interactions right where they didn't hit it off with the people they were with and so they start turning themselves down turning themselves down they become more and more morose the more morose they get 
right? The less chance they have of developing that emotional energy from connecting with people and being on the same page and lifting each other up. So the super successful people, generally speaking, are constantly creating emotional energy wherever they go. And so if you go somewhere where people are happy to see you and they want to know what you have to say, then you're going to get a lot of energy and you're going to be incredibly productive compared to if you're going through life and people are not particularly happy to see you. Excellent. Right from Mexico. So I want to thank the people who sat in for me, four spectacular people. I am a feeling human, uh, but I keep telling you that despair is a sin and I try to follow my own advice. I'll tell you... So... could it happen here? Yes, it is happening here, right? That's an allusion to Nazi Germany, but uh, despair is a sin, all right? We're becoming like Nazi Germany, and we're becoming like the Soviet Union, according to Dennis, but uh, despair is a sin. So when you get those mixed messages, like which one do you think will be stronger with people? That we're becoming like Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, but you should not despair, all right? Obviously, that first message is going to have more of an effect on people who, you know, allow Dennis Prager to affect them than the message, oh, you shouldn't despair. We're becoming like Nazi Germany and Stalin's Soviet Union, but don't despair. One thing about this release of papers by this young man in the National Guard, is that correct? Is that, is that the area? So this is interesting. Why did this young man release national security papers? Because it made him feel important. Why do I do this show? Because it makes me feel important. Why do I start every morning, you know, with a cold shower? Because it makes me feel strong and, you know, kind of fits into my hero system. We do what we do aside from meeting our basic needs to feel important. So you're not a bad person because you're doing things to feel important. Now, we all tend to be irritated by people who are trying to be more important than they really are. But if you channel your desire to feel important in good pro-social directions, then that that very human omnipresent desire to you know feel more important than you really are can be a good thing so i sponsor people in part to feel more important i try to excel at the work i do to try to feel more important i work hard on this show to try to feel more important i'd like to think that all of those endeavors are you know either neutral or pro-social i volunteer for three five ten fifteen hours a week and in large part i do it to try to you know be a good person to you know be more important than if i was just staying home and not contributing to anyone like when i can see that i'm making a concrete contribution to making other people's lives better guess what that makes me feel more important i am less susceptible to self-loathing so self-loathing has dogged me over the course of my life if i do some volunteering that makes me less vulnerable to self-loathing and the accompanying depression. So I volunteer in part to make myself feel better about myself, to make myself feel somewhat important. I'd like to think that uh, when I volunteer that, you know, I'm doing something of importance to some people, that when I do a show, I'm doing something of of importance to some people. Now, there are probably a hundred people in the world who are just like generically interested in, you know, Luke Ford's opinion on of things and there are probably like a million people in the world who are just generically interested in dennis prager's opinion on things now i can get high ratings and dennis prager can get higher ratings by addressing uh, topics and bringing information to to the fore that's of, of peak you know vital importance to to people but the the number of people who are interested in what you have to say does not necessarily you know reflect how wise or profound you are 
I think it was Colin Coward in with regard to sports talk radio says there's no money in being right there's money in being interesting so when it comes to being a live streamer or a right-wing influencer or a left-wing influencer all right the money is not in being right right the following the popularity that you get is not in being right and i don't think it's even primarily in being interesting it's in meeting people's needs so just like a good prostitute you know whispers things into a man's ear and you know tells him all sorts of things that that aren't true to to meet his needs you know so to the influencer like the live streamer who's selling parts of his soul all right you know needs to cultivate an audience by reliably providing them with what they want to hear and people want excitement they want to hear about you know that the world's you know coming to an end we're turning into nazi germany that uh, joe biden's a fascist i heard prager on today's show talk about how how uh, Joe Biden is the crummiest human being ever to be president of the United States. That's exactly what his audience wants to hear. You need to provide, you know, these kind of emotionally reassuring messages to develop a large following as a right-wing influencer. He was in. Uh, two things that are just a given. Had this been a Trump war and somebody had revealed papers, had revealed papers that they themselves revealed, things were happening that shouldn't be happening, like American troops in Ukraine with British troops, then he would have been regarded as a whistleblower and a hero. And, of course, one famous case, if you may not have lived through it, but you should know about it, called the Pentagon Papers, uh, which is exactly what they were, vast troves of Pentagon Papers to harm the American effort in Vietnam. And the people responsible for the Pentagon Papers, published, by the way, of course, by the New York Times and Washington Post, these people were heroes to the left. So if you reveal confidential or highly confidential matters and the left doesn't like the war, you're a hero. And if the left likes the war, you're a criminal. Okay, there's a big difference. This particular individual in the National Guard was just posting raw uh, intelligence dumps, right? The Pentagon Papers refers to a report undertaken by the Rand Institute out of Santa Monica for the Pentagon. And on the effectiveness of the American intervention into Vietnam. And it was delivered to the New York Times and to the Washington Post, which then took that which was newsworthy and tried to strip out that which would get you know people killed. Right. So with the Pentagon Papers, the person who turned over to the New York Times, Washington Post, wasn't just turning over raw intelligence that was very likely to get, get people killed. All right. That's what happens, too, with the Glenn... Greenwald link about Verizon and the major internet service providers, you know, turning over data or monitoring our phone calls. All right, this was turned over to the Guardian, the Washington Post, uh, New York Times, and so they were able to strip out the raw, the raw military intelligence. I mean, this kid was just posting, you know, raw military intelligence to, you know, show off, show off how, you know, powerful he was, and this desire to feel powerful, important, totally natural, but how do you feel that need? Like, we all find it obnoxious when people try to flash how important they are, but if they direct that into a positive vision, such as cleaning up the streets or, you know, taking part in some kind of neighborhood patrol, all right, then then uh, we don't resent people nearly as much. So let's uh, see what's going on with Tucker. Good evening from the Fox Studio lot in Los Angeles, California. We come once a year for the same reason. Tonight, we're excited to announce the third season of our documentary series, Tucker Carlson Originals. 
The point of the series is to ignore the distractions that they throw up at you relentlessly. Okay, I think uh, give that give that a skip. All right, let's get a little bit more from Prager today. That's the world in which we live, and it's just worth having clarity over agreement, which is one of my mottos. On the positive uh, side, Anheuser-Busch is losing billions of dollars. Whether this will continue or not is unknowable. However, if you buy an Anheuser-Busch product now, you... Right, Anheuser-Busch used that... Uh that uh, transsexual to advertise their, their products and uh, quite quite a negative reaction. So uh, please play a clip from the President of the United States, Joe Biden. The single existential threat to the world is climate change. We don't have a lot of time, and that's a fact. They're even recognizing, finally, everyone's recognizing America. Whenever he says that's a fact, I assume he's lying. It's like a signal. What I just said is not true. It's the single greatest existential threat in the world. It's the single best way for me and the left to overthrow Western civilization as we know it and destroy the economies of the Western world. That would be the truth. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what Joe Biden really means. He wants to destroy Western civilization and destroy the economies of the Western world. I mean, there's, a, there's an enormous audience that just wants to lap up that, that poison, right? So... If you're on the left, yeah, you want to morally advance, right? You want to overcome, you know, the strictures of the past, the the blind prejudice of the past. But the left doesn't want to destroy Western civilization and destroy first world economies. They want to reconfigure. They continually want to morally improve us. They want to continually, you know, reconfigure the economy and our society and the culture in in the service of left wing ideals just like uh, people on the right want to reconfigure the economy and the culture, you know, in in consideration with right-wing ideals. But this notion that uh, Joe Biden just wants to destroy the West and destroy first-world economies, that is such, you know, low-level analysis. He wants to change. Yeah, he wants to change things in a left-wing direction. And I'm on the right. So I frequently disagree with Joe Biden, but this idea that he just wants to trash... Western civilization and trash first world economies is ludicrous. I wonder if he had ever said it during COVID that this is the greatest existential threat right now. Just curious. I'm curious. So we, all of these great threats can take away the rights of people. He said that in Ireland. See the Irish uh, prime minister's dog started barking at him. And, did you see that? Oh, it's really, it's remarkable. Now, I'm not using this as proof that the dog knows what I know, that this is the scummiest human being to be a president of the United States in our history. Uh, but uh, dogs are sensitive uh, to uh, to meanness. So that's not proof. Just I thought. Yeah, it's not proof, guys. Just because the the Irish uh, prime minister's dog barked at <laughs> Joe Biden. Please, please don't take that as proof that Joe Biden's a bad man. <laughs> but Dennis Prager, you know, he found that very interesting that the the dog uh barked at, at Joe Biden. So uh Prager University's Will Witt or something, uh Dennis Prager set him up with this woman and they either got married or they are getting married. She's a she's a Dutch philosopher. Well it was very very funny to see the dog's reaction to our president. Wall Street Journal Biden's EPA remakes the auto industry. His new car rules are a de facto order to make and buy EVs, electronic vehicles. That's right. And then they, they, they call out Donald Trump as fascist. 
When the government tells business what to do, that is one of the uh, true uh, signposts of incipient fascism. The U.S. industry is nominally still private. Yeah, it's one of the signposts, guys, of incipient <laughs> fascism. All right, when the government tells industry what to do, it's a signpost of incipient fascism. Well, thousands of times, different levels of government have told business what to do, and it hasn't been fascist. So whenever fascism is invoked in an American context where it's completely inappropriate, it's just, it's just the cheapest of analysis it's just the most you know fact-free reality free analysis it's just you know emotion all right america's never had any kind of you know important fascist movement so whether it's coming from the left or coming from the right okay it's just absolutely ridiculous to to say that uh, america is becoming fascist because the government is telling automakers what to do right governments tell businesses what to do all the time you know why because those with power frequently like to tell those with less power what to do, right? The strong in history seem to take what they want and the weak seem to endure what they must, right? There's nothing particular about fascism in this. ...but it is slowly becoming a de facto state-directed utility. That's correct. This is all done with an excuse. There is no existential threat from climate change. It's a so that is a good point from the Wall Street Journal that, yeah, our auto industry is nominally privately owned. But if Joe Biden's regulations hold up, it will be it will be a quasi government business because uh, the government is going to direct them. That they have to produce electric cars. And I don't have strong opinions on climate change. Right. I'm I'm in the middle. I'm not on board with completely reconfiguring our economy. But uh, if we can reduce air pollution and uh, there seem to be some benefits with electric cars, if the benefits from using electric cars outweigh the, the price of using electric cars, then, you know, I'm OK with shifting more and more towards electric cars. I simply don't know enough about it. Uh, Dennis, though, has very strong opinions. It's one of the gigantic lies of human history. But we bathe in lies like men give birth. Men give birth and biology, biological life is, existence is threatened by climate change are equivalent what they do is they serve to destroy because destruction is intrinsic to leftism. Didn't I quote, remember I quoted Time Magazine last month, it was its 100th anniversary issue, and it says, we will continue to do and live by our purpose, change and disruption. Not report, not tell the truth. Change economic and widespread psychological fallout from the pandemic. Of course, it's not from the pandemic, it's from the lockdowns. I told you that okay, the whole time. Fair point. Uh, is okay. a, uh, what do they say, recovering addict? And he has been sober for about, it's called college. So and many talks others. So about his son here. Not I, only I college. assume it's his How many people leave college son? happier and healthier than when they entered? But that's not my subject. I'm Dennis Prager, and I have been lecturing about happiness for many decades. I got my topic today from my son, one of my sons, who uh, is a, uh, what do they say, recovering addict? And he has been sober for about six or eight years. What was the what is the year? And he has more wisdom than I would say 95% of the students at Harvard uh, because he went through AA. I learned that from you folks who have called me all of my broadcast life. And I kept hearing these words of wisdom. And I would say, where'd you pick that up? Where'd you pick that up? In almost every case, it was, oh, 12-step program. And I said decades ago, people have... Uh, 
people who went through 12-step programs have more wisdom than the faculty at any, almost any university. So, my friends, I got a topic from him. We were just together. I just came from Mexico where I spoke at a very large Passover retreat this week, and it was quite a week. And my family was there. It was a very beautiful, a beautiful week. So here it is. Uh, the topic came, I'll, t- I'll tell you about the topic, but this is, the topic was resentments, and I'll tell you exactly how it arose. We were talking about someone we all knew, I won't go any further than that, who uh, is in his 40s, and he harbors massive resentments against his parents, especially his father, over things that happened when, in some cases, he was about 10 years old. So then my son said that resentments have the following description in the 12-step world. And I thought it was so brilliant. I noted it. I'm reading to you from the notes on my phone. Resentments, they are like drinking poison and hoping someone else dies. So, yeah, that is a good uh, good description of resentment. I agree with Dennis's tremendous wisdom to be found in 12-step programs. And then a few minutes later into the show, Dennis asked, why do we tend to have so much resentment? And when I try to figure out human nature and something like, why do we have so much resentment? I go back to evolution. So imagine there are two tribes of people, one tribe of people largely free of resentment, the other people with you know the same level of resentment that most of us have today. I suspect that the reason that we have resentment very easily and naturally is because it's adaptive to a degree, right? If someone screws you over, you remember it. You remember the circumstance, you remember the situation, you remember the character or personality traits that go with being screwed over. If you hate your father, then when you encounter other people who remind you of your father, you'll naturally be wary. So I think a big problem with a lot of uh, punditry and commentary is just not putting things into proportion. Like walking around with a two or three out of 10 level of resentment against outgroups probably serves you because it gives you clarity, it gives you passion, and it gives you connection to your in-group, right? Taking note when someone screws you over, right? And, you know, trying to remember, I probably need to be careful with this person in the future, particularly in these situations, or other people who have these traits in the future, you know, I need to be careful, right? So we have resentment, right? Because it, it serves us, right? I think that's, that's why we have resentment. Now, we can have too much resentment. We can have such levels of resentment that they no longer serve us, right? Just like you can drink too much water, right? You can, uh, you can have too much resentment. Submit an appeal every day. And, you know, the first one, I was kind of nice. The first one, I said, hey, there's been a misunderstanding. When I said I'm declaring war on my enemies, that was not an incitement to violence against the Jews, okay? I know this I said that on my Nick Twitter page today. when I came back. I didn't mean it literally. I meant metaphorically, Okay. So my first appeal, I said, there's clearly been a misunderstanding. When I said I'm declaring war on my enemies, who are the Jews, I did not mean it. I meant it metaphorically. I meant it politically, obviously. Everyone who knows me knows that. Uh, but, you know, now I'm really getting sick of it. So these appeals, I just I jump in every day and I just say, give it back. Release my Twitter. Today, I put in an appeal. I said, you know what? Whoever's reading this, people lie about me on this platform every day. And where's my right of reply? I get defamed on this platform every single day. People get verified lying about me. Where's my right of reply? I don't get to correct the record. Anyway, I have to resort to this. I have to make the, I'm all out of credits on text verified. So anyway, so I have this account, whatever. We'll, we'll see how long this goes here. Uh, but follow me in the meantime, the band man zero. I'll be cooking. I'm trying to stay up to reset my sleep schedule. So I'll be cooking all day today. 
Um, well, let's just start with the elephant in the room. Miley Yiannopoulos tried to sleep with me. Okay, it's true. And we're having a Me Too moment, and it demands accountability. You know, it's time. It's time for accountability. It's time for honesty. It's time for full transparency and for sexual abusers to be utterly destroyed by the righteous people. And so we're going to name a few abusers who have flown under the radar for a long time. Uh, one of them, you know, Milo, who's probably the prototypical gay Jewish pedophile. I think everybody knows that by now, who got his start in America by bragging to Joe Rogan about how he went to uh, kid raping parties. He said something, and I'll I'll pin the clip at some point, but I'm sure you've all seen it. He goes on Joe Rogan in 15, and he says, oh, yeah, I went to a Hollywood party where they were raping kids. And Joe Rogan says, really? Who was there? And he goes, well, I'm not going to tell anyone. Okay. So that's how, that's like our introduction is, hey, I go to these parties where kids get raped. Uh, no, but I, I'm not going to name who's even there. We still don't even know. <laughs> still been concealed. <laughs> then, you know that he was ignominious, ignominiously, ignominy. He was destroyed in the conservative movement uh, because he was going on every stream and talking about how he thinks pedophilia is okay. He's going around telling people, uh, what, what was the line? Something like, I think we actually have the quote. I'll pull it up from, I think Guntgard posted it. He, Guntgard. The app. Let me pull up. I probably should have prepared. Real E Gungard has a quote. So he posts a quote. We have to we have to go through the background info so you can get the full deal here. Oh, you know what? He didn't post it. It's okay. Well, I so Will Summer is a, a uh, left wing journalist for Media Matters. So he's monitoring this uh, Nick Fuentes space. Anyway, I think I have it on my phone. I'll pull it up. Boop, boop. Do I have it on my phone? Maybe not. Oh, here it is. Yeah. So this is the quote. He goes on. This is what he gets canceled for. This is five years ago. He says, uh, pedophilia is not a sexual attraction to somebody 13 years old. What? <laughs> pedophilia is attraction to children who have not reached puberty. He says, um, I think in the gay world, some of the most important, enriching, and incredibly life-affirming, important, shaping relationships very often between younger boys and older men, they can be hugely positive experiences for those young boys. They can even save those young boys from desolation, from suicide, providing they are consensual. Oh, okay. In the interview, he was asked about the charges of pedophilia against Hollywood director Brian Singer. He disavowed any knowledge of Singer, but said he had attended Hollywood parties by other celebrities where he saw things that beggared belief where some of the boys were very young. We won't name them. He says the law is probably the right age. Um, I think it particularly happens in the gay world. In many cases, those relationships with older men. This is one of the reasons I hate the left. The stupid one-size-fits-all policing of culture, not liking pedophilia. Yeah, this is why I hate the left. They're not down with pedophilia enough, I guess. This arbitrary, oppressive idea of consent, which totally destroys the understanding many of us have. That must be a gay thing, I guess. Well, yeah, it is, actually. He goes, you know, people are messy and complex in the homosexual world, particularly. Some of those relationships between younger boys and older men, those sort of coming-of-age, you know, good old gay rape coming-of-age tale. The relationships in which those older men help those young boys to discover who they are and give them security and safety and provide them with love and a reliable sort of rock where they can't speak to their parents. Some of those relationships are the best. Okay. Uh, just a quick refresher. That's why this guy got canceled initially. He was supposed to be the keynote speaker at CPAC. I got banned from CPAC. This guy was going to be the keynote speaker. So that didn't happen. He got canceled by Reagan Battalion. Funnily enough, Reagan Battalion also run by pedophiles. You look into Reagan Battalion and there was a hacker who installed a keylogger on the Reagan Battalion user's computer. And the guy was looking up child porn, okay? The point I'm trying to get across, so you understand, is that conservative politics is literally full of gay pedophiles, okay? They're everywhere. They're almost as prominent as Jews in the, in the Republican conservative scene. Everybody, and by the way, all conservatives know what I'm talking about. Any conservative that works in politics, you don't have to go very far. You know what I'm talking about. So Milo gets canceled because he's going on and on about how pedophilia is so awesome. He happens to be canceled by also pedophiles. <laughs> Milo's a Jew, gay pedo. He gets canceled by uh, gay pedo Jews as well. They happen to be Hasidic. So Milo is the guy that uh, Nick Fuentes has been turning to for advice and forming common cause over the past few years. 
So Nick is quite happy to work with Milo when he thinks that uh, Milo is going to you know, further his career. Choose from New York City. This is your conservative movement, by the way. Meanwhile, I get banned from CPAC because I hate Israel. Okay. Anyway, so that's you know that's the lore there, and you know Milo goes through this big arc. And, and by the way, here's what I find very interesting. So this is clearly how he feels about it. He said this as an adult man. That's how he feels. Nobody gets to the age of 30 uh, believing that, and that's not that. That was just some flippant. They're playing devil's advocate? No, that's what you believe. If you're an adult male and you're going out in public repeatedly, repeatedly making the same, and he would make the same disgusting joke. He would always say, oh, I wouldn't give nearly good enough head if it wasn't for Father Michael, who apparently raped him as a kid. Nice joke. And by the way, if you go through these clips, which I have, he tells that joke a hundred times. He's really proud of that one. I think it's gross. Anyway, point is, you're 30. You're saying that. That's your belief. Well, he gets fired for it and everything. He's working at Breitbart. Breitbart also run by Jews. I just want to point, I just like to point these things out. Milo Jewish canceled by Reagan Battalion Jewish, fired by Breitbart, which was founded in America, conceived in Israel, by Bibi Netanyahu, by Jim Hoft. Who... Yeah, uh, Milo's like, you know, what, one-eighth one Jewish? And yeah, there are a disproportionate number of Jews in the intellectual space because Jews tend to be highly educated and have high verbal IQs. Who's gay. And Breitbart, who is now run by a Jewish immigrant from South Africa, whose biggest gripe with Biden is he's anti-Israel. It's just the whole thing is just like, do you understand what a revolutionary force I represent? Uh, Nick is happy to work with anyone that he thought would uh, either further his career or further his movement. I don't criticize him for that. The United States and England made common cause with Joseph Stalin's Soviet Union to defeat the Nazis. So if you want to make a real world difference, yeah, you frequently have to you know, form common cause with with the devil present because i'm not a part of that i go on twitter and in 40 minutes i get a thousand followers i do a conference of 1200 people i'm not one guy that's not part of this jewish control matrix i just want to point that out anyway so milo gets fired and allegedly goes through this huge conversion i go on his show in 2019 and he's berating me he had just read e michael jones for the first time you know baby's first logos you know i go on his show and i say listen dude like black people have lower average iq like this is the Wealth of Nations, man. It's about IQ. Richard Lynn. This is basic stuff. And he's telling me, well, E. Michael Jones said that actually, it's not, you know, so he, he takes a Catholic pill. And this is why I'm thinking, okay, you know, maybe maybe this guy's changed. He's turning a corner. He's embracing. If you don't know, E. Michael Jones is a big uh, Catholic uh, intellectual out of South Bend, Indiana. Anyway, um, so I go on a show in 2019 after the Groyper War. And I say, hey, man, like, uh, I, I think you've turned the corner. He's talking about Catholicism. He's talking about turning away from his gay lifestyle. I think that's terrific. I don't really talk to him throughout 2020. Uh, I made the unforgivable mistake. I think I texted him in 2020 and I said, hey, you know, do you have any web developers? Because I'm trying to develop a streaming website, which later became Cozy TV. And he said, oh, yeah, here's a number for this guy, Ray, who built Sensor TV. I said, oh, perfect. Thank you. So I texted Ray and Ray kind of blew me off. He never worked on the site. But I said this on my show at the time. I said, yeah, Milo was super helpful with the site. And he gave me a referral for a developer. And for like years, people persisted with this lie. They said, oh, Milo owns his site. Oh, Milo owns his site. Everybody's information. It's like he gave me a referral. Whatever. So I don't really talk to him throughout 2020. 2021, as you know, shit hits the fan with January 6th, and it gets bad. I get banned from banks. I get put on the no-fly list. I get my money frozen by the FBI. Uh, all this terrible stuff happens to me, and I'm in a really dark place. You know, my grandma died. My mom got cancer. My dad got cancer. $500,000 of cash was frozen by the feds. I got put on the no-fly list. I got banned from DLive. I got banned from my payment processor. At that time, I was making $50,000 a month. I had actually made $70,000 in December 2020. Uh, zero. Overnight, went to zero. I was making no money, and all my cash was frozen. My credit score was like 500 for a year because I couldn't pay my bills because I had no cash. Because my bank account. Whoa, Lauren Southern on Tucker. In your country, how does it feel from within it? Oh, it's 
absolutely maddening. We've just in the past few years, we've had a large thousands of guns banned in the country. Uh, we just found out that our elections were almost entirely rigged by the Chinese government. So that's new news just in the last week. And essentially, we've lost our right to protest. I'm sure everyone saw it during the truckers, but that has continued on. That has persisted. Can Canadians are living in a state of absolute fear of our government, and we're not even sure if our government is controlled in Canada or overseas. Right, whether your democracy is real, and of course that's a familiar feeling to Americans. Um, so the freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, and the freedom to defend yourself, including against tyranny. The first two rights hang on the third. We interviewed you at some length in this documentary about the right to self-defense. I wanna play part of it for our audience. One of the saddest parts for me is, you know, I've got handguns myself and I will probably be one of the last Canadians to own them. Those guns will die with me and then go to the government. I don't get to hand them down, nothing. He's banning firearms that in many cases are not even semi-automatic. We've got a thin veneer of civilization here in Canada right now. And when that thin veneer of civility crashes, the government don't want a bunch of people with guns that can defend themselves and have their own communities out here in rural Canada. They want to be in control. This will always be home to me, but there's just a bunch of a bunch of politicians trying to make it less and less like home every day. Canada is not and has never had a violent crime problem that would justify disarming the population. This is purely an effort by the government to make certain no one can fight back. Yeah, more people die from alcoholism in Canada than any sort of gun crime, but you don't see us banning alcohol. Right. Guns have a purpose, right? right. They, you can feed yourself. I actually have come into my driveway and had bears up in the trees. It's, it's a real thing. It's a real right. problem. Meanwhile, we actually just legalized cocaine and uh, hard drugs, MDMA, heroin, all the likes in my city of Vancouver. I guess uh, we were having a work ethic problem with all the weed. They needed the uh, cocaine legalized as well. They legalized cocaine in Vancouver. They've legalized cocaine in my city. You've got mushroom vending machines. Uh, if you walk down Hastings Street, now they're going to have shops where you can buy cocaine. But they've taken away guns. It seems they're legalizing all of the vices in my country while taking away all of the things that actually give people the ability to put their life in their own hands, have personal right. responsibility, take care of yourself. They want us drugged up. They want us pleasure-seeking. They want us completely, you know, the opiate of the masses, dependent on the government, not, turning a blind eye to all of the corruption going on. They just want us pleased with things that will distract us. Hor horrifying. One of the reasons I'm so glad you're here is because I have the feeling you're on a collision course with the Canadian government, so I just... I wanted to meet you in person <laughs> before whatever yeah. happens, happens. Lauren Southern, remember that name. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tucker. You'll be able to watch this documentary, O Canada, on Fox Nation as of May 1st. If you don't have an account that allows you to do that, you can sign up at the Fox Nation website right now. You can... I was frozen, so I couldn't even pay off my credit cards. Anyway, it was a brutal, like, devastating year. And so I started hitting up Milo for advice because he's, you know, he's been around the block. And he's giving me advice and, you know, he's leaked some text messages. So you've seen some of that. And, um, you know, so that was sort of the nature of the relationship in 2021. In 2022, he pulls up to AFPAC 3 and he brings Marjorie Taylor Greene in. You know, he, he brings her aboard and she speaks at the conference and it's great, you know, it's terrific. And then over the summer, I go up to Milo's confirmation. He gets confirmed as a Catholic. I'm thinking, okay, so he's really turned a corner. Like he's ready to be America first. He's ready to be Catholic. He got confirmed. Like I need, we needed to see him get confirmed. Okay, good stuff. 
here's where it all starts to go south. Here's, here's the problem. So I think at that point, everything's on the up and up. He maybe really did change. And if you look on my show, a lot of people would send in super chats and they would say like, uh, you know, do you really think that Milo is a former homosexual? And I would say, well, I hope so. I don't know for sure, but it seems like it. And according to everything I had seen, like I said, I met with him in 2019 <clears throat> and he had embraced E. Michael Jones. He had a stint at True News. He had a stint at Church Militant. I watched him get confirmed. Okay, you got to see this new Trump ad attacking Ron DeSantis. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. So... All of these things. In all new season, Tucker Carlson Originals, streaming exclusively on Fox Nation. Use promo code Originals and get Fox Nation free for 30 days. Sign up today. Ron DeSantis loves sticking his fingers where they don't belong. And we're not just talking about pudding. DeSantis has his dirty fingers all over senior entitlements, like cutting Medicare, slashing Social Security, even raising our retirement age. Tell Ron DeSantis to keep his pudding fingers off our money. Oh, and somebody get this man a spoon. Make America Great Again, Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. Okay, that's pretty funny. Oh, Mike Looks Lindell. like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The My Pillow guy. And you're looking good. So he, Mike Liddell spends about $100 million a year on Fox and, you know, pours money all around the right-wing world. So is that really Mike Lindell's money or is Mike Lindell a conduit for, you know, groups that may be buying influence? So that's what uh, Chuck Johnson's talking about. So January 20th of this year, Chuck Johnson wrote on his Substack about uh, Stephen Crowder, Daily Wire, etc. I think we need to stop pretending that these are real businesses. It's embarrassing. These are foreign funded fronts powered by foreign cash and the goodwill and hard earned money of true believers. Right. Many conservative influencers are, in fact, foreign agents of hostile powers. We pointed out how those social media platforms have long-standing ties to foreign intelligence themselves. So I'm not saying that uh, by no means is Chuck Johnson right on all these particulars. I think he's right in raising some questions here. Chuck writes, we are now entering the part of the conversation where government action is needed to crack down on what are essentially foreign-funded intelligence operations in the United States. Maybe Stephen Crowder is in on the big con all along. So Chuck Johnson, in some of these posts, calls for jailing people for misinformation. Now, offering Stephen Crowder $50 million for four years by the Daily Wire, obviously that's not a for-profit business deal. There's something else going on. Uh, January 19th, Chuck Johnson writes, this is why I suspect the federal informant Hunter Biden will ultimately become a hero or perhaps president of the United States. Right, count me skeptical. And Chuck Johnson says we are all living under Likud slash Israeli occupation. Right, He writes January 23. If you're under an occupation, maybe the most patriotic thing you can do is to steal an election. What an interesting paradox. Why should we fetishize elections anyway? Wasn't Hitler democratically elected? And Chuck Johnson's got a theory that uh, Joe Rogan's being blackmailed and that he's being run furtly cooed by Eric Weinstein. And uh, Chuck Johnson blogs, why can't we see football for what it is, a waste of our youngest, finest men in a gladiatorial blood sport this game is totally rigged by mobsters, their descendants, and their front men. Are we sacrificing our young people for a game that's totally rigged? How many other things are totally rigged? So uh, Chuck Johnson doesn't 
seem to need a great deal of evidence, and he doesn't provide any new evidence for how the National Football League is rigged. Now, I suspect that some NFL games have not been 100% on the level, but I didn't see any compelling evidence that the league overall is, quote-unquote, totally rigged. I mean, this is just a reckless claim, which seems to be something that Chuck Johnson engages in a lot of. Now, Chuck Johnson's very intelligent. He's very connected. He does have some interesting things to say, but at the same time, he is incredibly reckless. So sometimes he's uniquely and bravely right. Sometimes he's just plain reckless and wrong. So February 8th, he writes, we should consider treating you know, some of these purveyors of misinformation or promoters of intellectual cul-de-sacs in the same way we treated their fascist antecedents by identifying them, confronting them, and ultimately by jailing them. So he wants to jail people who promote intellectual cul-de-sacs and purvey misinformation. And that's insane. Now, there are many very strong arguments against wasting your time listening to Eric Weinstein and Joe Rogan. But whether or not Eric Weinstein is controlling Joe Rogan on behalf of Likud is really not worth talking about. It's like arguing about you know, which porn director is controlling another porn director. And uh, he talks about how his friend J.D. Vance, now Senator Vance, uh, so he's friends with Peter Thiel, J.D. Vance, a lot of interesting people, and I don't think he's lying. Uh, he's friends with Matt Gates, introduced Matt Gates to, to Matt Gates's wife. Chuck Johnson blogs February 16th. You get paid for being right in investing, but in journalism, well, it all depends on whether or not some nation state likes your work or not, right? I think that's an interesting point. What tends to happen is that in going independent in journalism, you very much become dependent on your various sources of income. And given the anonymous nature of a lot of donations on the internet, some of that money can come and does come from foreign intelligence. You can see that with the Chinese money flowing into both the Proud Boys and Black Lives Matter. Oh, this is interesting. So whether or not he's right about the specifics, I, I do believe that he's onto something that a lot of influence of money comes from foreign entities who are trying to you know, change the, the conversation in the United States. When you're an independent journalist, you become a cutout. Right? It all depends on who your mentors are. Then he's got a good line here. Russia has the manpower, but not the will. Ukraine has the will, but not the manpower. And uh, he's got a lot of interesting posts on influencers. Says influencers, uh, people who become successful as an influencer, right? They get targeted, right? If you become successful talking to an audience, you'll be beset by obsessive weird spies may attempt to destroy you if they can't blackmail you. And talking about Scott Adams here, claiming that uh, for a time, Jake Novak read him, so did Israeli-American David Key, so did Joel Pollack, so did Dave Rubin, whose company, Locals, is backed by Israeli intelligence. All right, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying, yeah, that's, that's right. I, I just say that there may be something that he's onto here that's important. So being an influencer is dangerous. You never know who is influencing you or why. So Scott Adams doesn't seem to realize that there are deep intelligence ties between the Sinaloa cartel and the Israelis who ran him. You can read about those ties in Haaretz, the paper of record in Israel. 
And uh, Chuck Johnson says that uh, Eric Weinstein was fired from his job as the managing director of Teal Capital. I didn't know that. And Chuck Johnson says, I've long argued that Eric Weinstein needs to go to jail for the harms he's causing in our understanding both of scientific principles and geopolitics. So I think Eric Weinstein is, is a waste of time. He's not worth you know devoting any energy or time to. But I don't want him seeing see him going to jail for the harm he's causing in our understanding of scientific principles and geopolitics. Like if you think Eric Weinstein is providing you with valuable insights on scientific principles and geopolitics, then there's something wrong with you, right? It's not, it's not uh, necessary to jail Eric Weinstein. And uh, Chuck Johnson blogs about the Eric Weinstein Joe Rogan podcast in February. It's a deeply impressive piece of Likud propaganda. It's a low IQ conversation between people who are not particularly clued into reality, right? It's the equivalent of goop for men. And uh, Chuck Johnson says, I found that Chinese, Russians, and Likud tend to be very nervous around genetics. I mean, it's such an impossibly broad statement with so many individual refutations. Right? It's a shame that you have to wade through so much nonsense in Chuck Johnson's substack to get to the gold. And uh, Chuck Johnson says, why did the Germans lose World War II? Because they were outspied and out-bullshitted by Anglo-American intelligence, right? Again, really low-level analysis. The Anglo world had far more industrial might than did the Axis powers. Oh, Chuck Johnson says the moon landing was real, but the footage was fake. That's my view, right? That's not something you should have a view on. You should either have evidence or keep quiet. I mean, a view that the moon landing footage is fake, that's his view. He complains about, we live in a world where black men are routinely killed by police. I mean, that's insane. Like, far more police are killed by you know, black men than black men are being killed by police. So he's a huge Joe Biden fan. He claims that uh, Joe Biden is destroying the mob in America. All right. Let's get a bit more from Nick. This is like over the course of three years. Uh, going from what he would even call arm's length allies to, we became buddies, I would say, by 22. I drove six hours up to his confirmation in Detroit, and I, I actually had lunch with him and his priest and his sponsor and everything. So I'm thinking, okay. Well, we go out to L.A. in November to work for Ye, and I see a totally different side. For starters, I, there's this very rude awakening where it becomes obvious that he is still very much with his husband. Okay, They are still 100. They are still living together. They are still talking constantly every day. They're probably still having sex. How do I know that? Because I show up there. And all day, every day, Milo's texting the husband, texting the husband, calling the husband. John, 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 could you do this for me? Could you do that for me? Okay, so, you know, it's sort of hard to accept that there's a real conversion. You know, you go from in 2017, enthusiastically and with conviction, saying pedophilia is awesome. And then you, when you, once you get fired, you go, oh, no, never mind. I don't actually believe that. Now, over the course of six years, there appears to be this growth, this turnaround. Oh, now I'm Catholic. I don't do that anymore. I don't do sodomy anymore. Okay, plausible, maybe. Well, then I show up and it's like, well, hold the phone. You're still talking to this guy? Did he become Catholic? Well, the answer is no. The husband, John, is still a homosexual, is not a Catholic, is not celibate. Now, the story gets worse. We're driving around L.A., and Milo's popping in Percocets. And he offers me one. You know me. I've never had a sip of alcohol. I've never tasted it. I have never taken a list of drugs. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never smoked a vape. I'm a total teetotaler. I've never done any of that stuff. I get a headache. He goes, here, you want one of my Percocets? Like, trying to drug me. 
I'm like, no, dude, I don't want any Percocet. I just have a headache. Like, I need a ibuprofen. He goes, no, really, it's legit. It has my name on it. Look, it's a legit bottle. It's got my name on it. I'm like, yeah, no, I think I'm good on the Percocet, okay? Pushing the drugs on me. And so we're in the car. I think it's me, him, John Miller. It might have been somebody else. And he's telling us that he does. We're like, why do you have Percocet? What's the story with this? And he tells us that he needs to take drugs because it is so hard for him to not have gay sex that the only way to take his mind off of it is to replace that with another vice. He says, the only way that I could stand not having gay sex and resisting the temptation is taking Percocet. I have to substitute one vice with another. My right-handed guy, that is a real conversation. I said that on my show on last night or on Wednesday, and people thought I was kidding. My right-handed guy, that was a real conversation. He said, I need to take these pills because they take my mind off of the fact that I'm still in love with my husband and I still want to have sex all the time. So I have to substitute one vice for another, okay? So then I start thinking and I'm putting the pieces together. So, so let's, let's think about this. Milo lives with the husband. They, they're cohabitating. In the Catholic religion, you cannot cohabitate if you're getting married to a woman. You know, if I'm a guy getting married to my wife, I can't cohabitate with my fiance. That's a real marriage. You know, if I'm a guy getting married to some woman, I have a fiance and we're like, she's got a ring and everything. We can't live in the same house. You know, but you've got this guy who wants to have gay sex so bad that he needs to be on drugs. He's cohabitating with the husband. They've been, quote unquote, married. And the husband isn't Catholic. The husband hasn't resigned that lifestyle. Then it gets better. Milo talks about flying the husband out to L.A. using the Kanye money to fly John, the husband, out to L.A., which he then does. And they go to Disneyland together, and, they, and it's all very cute, and it's all very adorable. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, we, Houston, we have a problem. Houston, we have a big problem. Yeah, Nick, Nick uh, suddenly realized that there's a big problem, right? Let's get a little bit more from... Chuck Johnson's Substack, he writes, March 27, one of the major reasons I left journalism for investing is that there was no way to capture being right. I regret spending as much time in ideological circles. I was a sucker, but I was attracted by abstraction, by principles. Like a lot of stupid smart people, I wanted to be seen a certain way instead of being smart. That's an interesting perspective. Then he says something I find stupid. A major reason I didn't take the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, was that some of the very same people who advocated for the Iraq war were also pushing the vaccine quite hard. And that doesn't seem to be like a really strong argument against the COVID vaccine. And then he's become convinced that uh, BAP, who's BAP again, that, you know, that guy into you know, photos of naked men, uh, like Claremont anyway, BAP like Claremont is about getting you to do something crazed and radical, like overthrowing the Republic under the guise of protecting it. Well, there's probably, there's a, there's a smidgen of truth there, I think. And yeah, there's some good stuff here on his Substack. Uh, I think we need to investigate the possibility that many of the tech innovators are in fact money launderers, right? There is an awful, you know, a lot of money that's just sloshing around in, in Silicon Valley. And so... He did a he did a space on on Silicon Valley and what what life is like there, and uh, it was it was pretty good. But when he tried to push, when he tried to push his his theory that uh, you know it was just uh, Chinese and foreign intelligence trying to buy people off, uh, his 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 guest didn't really go for, for about eight years. So here he is interviewing now. A give us like a day in the life, and we should say like. Just by way of disclosure, you and I have known each other, I want to say for like maybe 15 years or so. Like it's been a while. Um, we both went to the same prep school. We're both gingers. We're both from the same town in Massachusetts. So, you know, I, I've known you for quite a while. Okay, BAP, bronze age pervert. That's right. Uh, I just, 
the guy and his book just completely give me the creeps. And I've always known you to be a straight shooter. So give us the give us the skinny. Like, what's what's a day like? What what should people know? You know, what's your what's been your impressions? And go from there. That's a great question. Um, it really does depend upon your role. Um, and I'll give you the role as when I was a CEO, and I'll give you the role as when I was a CTO. Um, generally, when I was a CTO, um, I was a mostly independent contributor. I was also a very efficient manager. So. Um, you'd start the day, you'd meet with your engineers, make sure they're all on point about what they need to get done. I was very good about not busying them with meetings or anything. So I didn't usually have any meetings. And then you just code. You'd spend all day coding. You'd meet with the CEO. You'd make sure that you, you need, know you need what, know what you need to get done. And then overworking is a sign of pride in San Francisco. So you wouldn't necessarily work a lot at the office, or at least I didn't, because you know I, I wasn't very efficient at the office. So you'd get into work late around 10 a.m., get a few things done, and then you'd just so this is a thoughtful and interesting discussion about uh, Silicon Valley culture. Sit in front of your computer and write code. And maybe you have lunch, maybe you don't. Around 4 p.m. you'd leave, and um, what I did to deal with stress was I drank. And so did a lot of people in San Francisco. But in my case, um, I was always very busy. So did I ever listen to any Bronze Age Perverse podcasts? No, never listened to them. Uh, I find him disturbing and repellent. And I was very productive, so I would go to a bar... Um, and I just bring my laptop and I keep working and have a few glasses of wine until dinner time, at which point I generally have dinner with a friend or by myself. I'd go to the Four Seasons and have a burger or something like that. And then I would go find a comfortable spot at a relaxing bar. And then I'd pull out my laptop and I would continue coding while everyone else was having fun. And I would be that weird guy coding away on his laptop at a bar until two in the morning every night. And this would be five days a week. And then I would code all weekend long. And that was my life as a CTO for about six of the eight years. Um, so those were about 80-hour weeks, I would say. Um, so, yeah, um, that is the day in the life of a CTO at a startup in San Francisco. Um, now, CEO is more interesting. That was um, – I ran a company that became very successful. And there's a lot of stress and failure, but there's just as much stress and success as what you don't realize because suddenly time becomes an incredible shrinking asset where – Everyone needs your time. All your customers need your time. We were a B2B uh, business where we were dealing with suddenly very high-profile companies. Um, and I was taking a lot of meetings every day. Um, I... Okay, question. Why do I find Bronze Age pervert re repellent? Because he's always pushing homosexuality and you know how much he loves naked, oiled-up uh, uh, men. So I, I just instinctively find him repellent. I, I mean, I, could, I can try to intellectualize why I find him repellent, but uh, from you know reading his book to looking at his Twitter feed, I, I just get the creeps. So I can try to intellectualize why I get the creeps, but what it comes down to is I just get the creeps. I just find him incredibly disturbing. That that's just my my pre-rational reaction, and so I can try to rationalize that pre-rational reaction. But I mean that's also. The, the basis of my you know reaction to same-sex marriage I just it gives me the crease before I even think about it before I even try to rationalize it before I try to mount an intellectual or moral argument against same-sex marriage it just repels me so I don't think that uh, rational arguments are necessarily more powerful more righteous more more right more necessary than just instinctual reactions if you have an instinctual reaction about being repelled by something, uh, probably a good reason to to just go along with it. Have I ever been propositioned by a man? Yeah, I have. You know, 
three or four times. I make ironic gay humor too. Yeah, I'm not condemning Bap. You know, I'm not saying that he's below me. I'm above him. I'm above anyone else. I make ironic gay humor too. Uh, I'm nothing about I'm straighter than Bap. All right. I just telling you just my roar. In fact, I'm telling you, I'm not even trying to make an argument against Bap. I just have an instinctive revulsion to what he does. And also to the way that, you know, he tries to make life miserable for every, for anyone who criticizes him. Like the mildest, slightest criticism. And uh, he likes to, you know, send his devotees, you know, on, on the warpath. So I won't try to rationalize it or moralize it. I just find him instinctively revolting. I had to very quickly learn to delegate. We were growing very fast. We were hiring on... And, you know, suddenly I had so many meetings and getting around San Francisco, we hired me a private driver on, um, you know, I had my meals made for me on, um, I was getting very little sleep on um, just time management becomes the most important aspect in your life because it's the number one thing that you just don't have enough of. Um, and you suddenly have all of these people working for you and their welfare is entirely dependent upon you being successful and you properly managing the company. Yeah, so this is a good uh, Chuck Johnson discussion without a lot of uh, crazy conspiracy theorizing. So his, I think, April 6th space on what it's like, the raw truth of life in Silicon Valley. Right. Here's another Prager excerpt I found interesting. Life as a right-wing I ever even talked about it, but Dennis and Julie bring stuff out of me that I, even Mr. Speak About His Life Prager doesn't, uh, doesn't always mention because it doesn't come up. It's not because I'm hiding it. But I, I actually lost a very significant amount of money by being conservative. My mode of income until about the age of, of 40, which is middle age already, early middle age, was overwhelmingly speaking in the Jewish community in America. I, I, was, I was the third most booked speaker because of my books on Judaism, because I've been Soviet Union and, and, and helped Soviet Jews, and so why are you smiling? And because it's so great. You deserve it. That's so, that's so, I mean, that's incredible. Oh, okay. Well, but, well, but that's not the punchline. Oh. That's the preface. When I became a well-known conservative, it all dried up. My entire income outside of a of, of very minimal radio income, because I was on only local radio and, and for, for years, and, and not even every, na every night. That didn't start until I was 42 or 44, whatever it was. So there was no, I lost money saying what I believed. Yeah, I think that's a good point and it rings true. If you, you know, really do say what you believe, it can come at a tremendous, tremendous price. All right, let's get a little bit more here from, where is uh, Nick Fuentes, his space today? I think it's a very tough pill to swallow for anybody that Milo was talking so flagrantly years ago about pedophilia. 13? He says that 13 is not pedophilia. An adult man can have a sexual relationship with a 13-year-old. He says that's not pedophilia. Proudly, unabashedly, unashamedly, he says that it's an oppressive consent culture that the left opposes this. Proudly spewing this, and then, oh, I I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, uh, never mind, I I'm a 30-year-old man. I don't, I don't believe that anymore, the day after he gets fired. I don't think anybody can associate with somebody like this after a comment like that. But over the period of six years, and me witnessing at least three of those years, I see this, what I think is progress. Okay, Michael Jones, okay, get interested in Catholicism, all right. I go to his confirmation. I'm thinking, okay, this is great. Well, the confirmation happens, by the way, I think it's July, August 22, just so you understand the timeline. We go out to LA November 23, or I'm sorry, November 22. And I show up there and I see, so that, that's all a crock of shit. Then. Like, that's all a lie. You didn't really, you know, because he's going to make it a big deal out of, well, I'm not doing this stuff anymore, and we're not married anymore, blah, blah, blah. I threw my wedding ring in the ocean. Well, no, you didn't, because you're still living with him. You're still cohabitating. He's still gay. 
you're still talking to them every day. You're still best friends. If you, you know, if you want to have sex so bad, you need to be on drugs. If you're cohabitating with somebody. Let's use our imagination. It's called occasion to sin, which is a sin in itself. Now, here's where things get fucked up. So like I said, he offered me drugs. The first night that we were there, he tries to get me to sleep in the same bed as him. He gets one hotel room. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's going to be two beds. It's going to be like a two bed situation, two bed setup, which I'm already uncomfortable with because I'm a hot guy. Okay, look, I'm a hot guy. I'm a hot, skinny young guy and everything. Not to be glib about it, but it's true. And I'm already like, okay, this is a little bizarre. He gets one room with one bed. Whoops. I'm going to drop my phone. One room, one bed. And, you know, I, I get in the room. I'm like, okay, you know, there's one bed here. Uh, he goes, well, you know, we could sleep in the same bed. We could do like a pillow partition. I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> like, no way is that going to happen. No shit. And he gets like all offended. He gets like all, he's like, he was like seriously hurt. I'm like, dude, like, no fucking thank you. Too weird for me. No, I do not want to sleep. We do a pillow partition. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I sleep on the floor. I didn't even sleep. I had my eyes open the whole night. I'm thinking, God forbid. Yeah, I'm really shocked. Really, really shocked that Mylar would try to pull something like that on a good Christian like Nick Fuentes. Right, here's uh, Dennis and Julie on the importance of keeping it real. It was very moving to me, obviously. I knew it was going to change my life, and it did. So from the very beginning... Talking about the first time he hosted a radio show. Beginning, I, I knew, I said to myself, and I was, I was 32 years old, 33, whatever, I always get it wrong, it doesn't matter. And I remember saying, you must talk normal. Because the great majority of talk show hosts, and, and these, these people overwhelmingly are interesting and bright. There's no, you can't, you can't be a dummy and have a talk show. It, it, it doesn't last. Maybe you could do it on dummy subjects, but, but not on serious subjects. Anyway. So it's not a knock on them. It's just, this is a this is how I heard the average talk show. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you. <laughs> hey, what do you think? And I, and I thought, but well, that's not how they talk when they're off, off the air. So I decided I will, and it's, it's, here's the irony. It takes effort to be real. You, you would think it's effortless because you're just you. But especially if you do public work, it takes a great deal of effort to make sure that you don't enter public forms of speech, but speak real and Obviously, given my my success, for which I am deeply grateful, it worked. And that's that's what this is. So at the same time, Dennis talks about how all his radio program directors kept telling him, you need to speak with more energy. You need to speak with more energy. So how do you do an incredibly energized show? Do you do it by saying that the word fascism just has no relevance to political discourse in the United States? No. You get a lot more energy talking about how the Democrats are the real fascists or the real racists and that uh, Joe Biden you know, pushing the car industry to make more electric cars. That's fascist, right? That's incredibly energizing to talk about how America is turning into Nazi Germany. America is turning into Joseph Stalin's Soviet Union, that uh, the Democrats are the real fascists. All right. So that's energizing, but it comes at a tremendous price. So. I think that's self. There's an element there of self-deception, talking about uh, oh, you know, I just talk the, the way I, I normally talk, right? To do a nationally syndicated talk show host, like to do my show, I have to speak with five times as much energy as I'd bring to a normal conversation. Dennis Prager has to speak, you know, five ten times the amount of energy that he brings to a normal conversation, and you can't talk with that much energy about. You know, neutral things. You have to hype yourself up and have to hype up your listeners to, you know, get that energy flowing back and forth between you. All right, let's get a little bit more here from Nick's space. Something happened here. And so 
at that point, I went down to the hotel lobby the first thing the next morning. I said, I need another room. Put it on my – well, actually, I said, I need another room. Can you charge it to the existing reservation? His card declined because he's broke. I said, you know what? Put it on my card. I just – I need a room now. I need to get out the door. Like, okay, here. We got you all set up. Okay. I get checked in. And at that point, I realized, you know, this guy cannot be anywhere near Yay. This guy cannot be anywhere near me, cannot be anywhere near America first. And it's a very delicate situation. I actually talked to Candace Owens about this because Candace Owens was trying to warn Yay. She was texting Yay and saying, Yay, you got to fire Milo. He's terrible. You know, look, look at all this stuff he's saying about you and all this stuff. And Yay wasn't really listening. And so Candace starts texting me and she goes, you know, you got to tell him what's up. Like, you know, and she was a little suspicious of me at first because Milo introduced me to Yay. And I said, look, like Candace, I'm like, I'm on the same page, but this guy's a maniac. Like this guy's a total psycho. Like I don't want to make an enemy out of this guy because look at how obsessed he is with Laura Loomer. Look at how obsessed he is with Ali. Look at how obsessed he is with, uh, you know, every other person that's ever wronged him, perceived or real. I said, I don't want to make an enemy out of this guy. I don't want him to go home mad. I just want him to go home. I said, so, you know, what do I do in this situation? And she says, well, and she kind of, she gets a little nasty with me. She's like, well, if you don't tell Ye, then I am going to go and on Twitter. And when this blows up in everybody's face, I'm going to say that you were complicit. She says this to me. She says, you, you know, you got to say something because if you don't, then I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm going to tell everybody that you knew about it, but you didn't say anything. And I said, hey, listen, I said, we're on the same team here. I want him gone as much as you do. I said, but it's, it's complicated. You know, I said, you're telling Ye all these things and he's not listening. If I tell him these things, I'm just going to alienate myself. And the only one's going to be left is Milo. I said, so I, I got to work this. I got to find a way to finesse this. And, and anyway, so yeah, learning to work things, learning to finesse things, right? That's how you get to be more successful and advance in your career, right? Here's uh, Julie Hartman talking about how much disgust she has for people who try to buy influence. There's why only three people engaging with your post. And it's also interesting because... The attitude that life is a game. Yes. This attitude has infected our society more generally. The examples I gave on my show, look at the Kardashians. We idolize people who are famous for just being famous. We don't care anymore about why people are famous. We just admire that they finessed and BS their way to the top. I actually think a lot of people admire the Kardashians more precisely because they don't have any talent. And they were just so good at BSing that they were able to fool everyone and make all this money and get all this fame. Uh, even if you look, certainly among people my age, people buy likes and followers on Instagram. And it's very obvious when people buy likes and followers because they have, you know, thousands of followers and there are only like three comments on their, their posts. So it doesn't match. If you have a thousand followers, why only three people engaging with your post? And it's also interesting because people are not only doing it, but they know that other people know that they're doing it. They know that it's obvious to the rest of the world that they buy followers, but they still do it because they're showing that they're playing the game. So the issue is winning. Yes. Doesn't matter at what. Doesn't matter. And doesn't matter how you got there. Nope. Doesn't matter. That's what you're saying. And you brought this up to me on the phone a few weeks ago when I was telling you that I was going to do a segment on this. You said, look at the way that the media reports on politics. They talk about gerrymandering. They talk about the right. Who's winning? Who's winning? That's what. Not issues. Right. Who's winning? And so it made me think. I mean, I have a few. Uh, I, I, before I tell mine, I'd be curious to hear your hypotheses as to why you think this sentiment has infected our society. I have a few reasons. I think one of the biggest, though, is that people don't articulate why it's important to behave well. There are all these forces that are encouraging us not to behave well, but no one is t speaking about behaving justly and morally. If you do that, you're seen as weak and soft and like a good And probably shoes. religious. Oh, the definitely the religious. Ultimate, uh, curse. And so I just, I really see it as a problem because people don't, they, they it's just i'll give you one final example and then i'll kick it over to you for your thoughts but when i first was on your show that summer when i did um you know every week you were so unbelievably nice to have me on your show once a week and then i guess hosted for you i got back to college for my senior year and you know the question that i was asked the most really fascinating people would say including that blankety blank who was bragging about cheating he came up to me and asked me this question people would say do you believe what you say oh and i remember being so oh you, you okay go on because you've now explained something to me go on I, and i i'm like of course i believe like for, to me it was so College here is Harvard University, and Laponius has an interesting point. Uh, watch people's mouths when they speak. Any sign of crookedness 
Is it a sign of mental defect or derangement? I think sometimes yes, sometimes no. So we we do have a study that indicates that murderers have you know far more facial defects and, and scars than, than regular people. So we should be studying. Is there anything that gives away that someone might be more dangerous? Like, just imagine if human beings were color coded, like much of nature is color coded. So you could just look at a glance and see. You know, by the indication of color, you know, some inside, are they more likely to run fast? Are they more likely to be highly intelligent? Are they more likely to be uh, violent, explosive? Are they more likely to be cautious? Just imagine if you could just like look at people. Just imagine if people were color coded. I mean, what a, a simplistic, you know, racist, you know, wrong, bad, terrible, awful, very, very bad world that would be if, if people were color coded. So terrible. Why would I do something that was both so great and I got a lot from, but that came with an enormous cost, that is losing friends, kind of being a social pariah, losing future job opportunities. To me, it was just like, and also just more, like, of course I would only talk about what I believe in. And people, many different people asked me if I really thought it or if I was just doing it to get on a show and to be on national radio. So that's it, the life it, is a game mentality. Oh, that's really helpful to me. I would say 80% of the hate mail that I receive, and I, I'm not deluded with it, you saw my mail for weeks, uh, but 80% of the hate mail that I receive states doesn't even ask doesn't imply states we all know that your conservative views are a ticket to making a lot of money yes so they have contempt for people who try to buy influence but you know dennis is always talking about the billions of views that prager university gets you know how they get billions of views they buy them they buy ads that autoplay right they you know, promote the heck out of their videos. They spend four times as much on marketing their videos as making their videos. So they have contempt for, you know, buying likes and views, but that's the very thing that makes, you know, Prager University go. I remember I, I would uh, look at the stats on PragerU videos and because Dennis was talking on his radio show, oh, you know, we just released this video and it's already gotten you know, 117,000 views in just 24 hours. And so I look at the stats on the video. And so, yeah, the first day, it'd get something like 130,000 views. And the second day, it'd get about another 120,000 views. And then the third day, it would get, you know, 15 views, right? It would get virtually no views. Like the statistics would be high, 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 and they'd completely drop off. So how do you release a video that gets, you know, over 100,000 views per day and then suddenly goes to zero for days on end? Right, it's the difference of whether or not you're juicing the view count, whether or not you're buying the views. Now, you can manipulate YouTube videos and YouTube views in a way that uh, YouTube doesn't have a problem with. Right, so there are more sophisticated, more effective ways of doing it, and they're less effective. So, Prager Universities received something over six billion views. So, from my analysis, if my analysis on on one or two videos from about 10 years ago still holds basically true and you know, at 95% of those views are bought and you know Prager University is something like a, a 20 million dollar a year operation right it's subsidized to buy views and to give the impression that uh, you know this is you know the most influential institution changing young people's minds which is how Dennis pitches it but uh, much of that power and influence is just manipulation of the YouTube algorithm. You know, anyone can go out there and buy likes, buy subscribers, buy views. 
right? But it would be hard to do it as effectively as Prague University without the tens of millions of dollars in donations that they have uh, received and then, you know, used very, very effectively. Right? So you got to learn how to play the game if you want to succeed as an influencer. Is I mean, Nick this Fuentes. is like what happened during the A24 saga, and that was some of the lead-up. Eventually, Milo just got himself fired because he's incompetent in his job, and it, it sort of took care of itself eventually. And he got fired shortly after. And I, avert, I, I thought we were good. You know, I thought that he was gone. I thought that him and I were cool. It was like pretty even Steven. Then RNC comes out with this resolution, Republican National Convention, or whatever, Republican National Committee, I guess. They come out with a statement or a, a resolution at their annual conference. I think it's in December or January. And they have this resolution to condemn me, Ye, and Milo for anti-Semitism. That was the draft resolution. They were going to condemn me. Yay, Milo, for you know saying that we love Hitler and swastikas and all that. And I, I will just say this. Before before that period of two weeks where I had to work with Milo, I don't know if I would have gone with the swastika or the I love Hitler. I have to say that after working with Milo for two weeks, I was like, I, love, I fucking love Hitler. <laughs> nah, it's a joke, kind of. After two weeks of Milo, that was the most radicalizing experience. Milo is so Jewish, and so he's like the worst person ever. After He's just like a scammer. He tried to shake Yay down for $115,000 in reimbursements for 10 days of expenses. Who, who can spend $115,000 in 10 days? He goes, well, I won't sign an NDA until you pay me $115,000. I mean, like, give me a break. That's the most Jewish thing ever. So, you know, after two weeks working with this guy, I'm like, yay, I'm right there with you. I love Hitler. Okay, we're posting the swastika. No. But anyway, so this draft resolution comes forward. I think it's in December or January. Uh, the three of our names are on there. But when the Okay, this is incredibly entertaining. Nick Fuentes is entertaining. He is compelling. Dennis Prager is entertaining, compelling. Like, Dennis Prager is, you know, 1,000 times a better talk show host than I am. And he knows how to play the game. And... He's also a man of tremendous dignity. Columbia Media. That's what you wrote back to the email chain. You wrote back like, what does this matter that she, because at the time I, I was a student at Harvard, but we knew that this was going to go longer than that. He goes, so we're going to call it the Columbia almost grad in the Harvard list. <laughs> exactly. It's Dennis and Julie though. So I just so want to say uh, on a personal note, when the music comes on, I get in a good mood. When I show up to the studio, I get in a good mood. This is so fun. Oh, and I'm supposed to remind you to please subscribe yeah, to this YouTube do. channel. We've been forgetting to tell the audience that. I always feel weird telling the audience that. I don't know why I feel... Yeah, I, well, I know why I do. I have the dignity problem. I, I yes. can't ask people, but it's not, totally. it's not for our sake. We're not doing this because it makes... It does make me feel good, but it's not why we're doing it. We think we, we can help people see life better it's it's so interesting that you just said the dignity thing because i view it the same way even on my show timeless i've started asking people to like comment and subscribe because that's how you grow okay these guys just have no self-awareness all right you're on you're speaking on prager university right your, your platform is entirely the result of tens of millions of dollars being spent to manipulate the youtube algorithm but you have too much dignity to ask people to like and subscribe. Your channel. You have to remind people to take the action to, just, to subscribe. But again, I always found it to, I feel a little uncomfortable when I do it because at least for people my age, you may not see this as much. There are a lot of influencers in my generation that constantly, yes. constantly right. go, subscribe to my channel, subscribe. And I just, I view, I view it as undignified and as a bombardment. And, and, and also you're, you're not like them. It's not a put down. It's just, right. it, it's different. Anyway, but please, but, so how but do they subscribe? subscribe? How do they subscribe? <laughs> you click a subscribe button. So do it. That's it? That's it? Yeah, you just, just one button. So I have a super duper serious question. You ready? Which means it's it means it super really duper is. serious. It, it is. Oh, okay. It is actually. All right. I, I'm trying to work this through. We're living in an age of madness. I, I was reading on my show about a thir girl at 13 had her breasts removed. The one who's suing Pfizer? Yes. Or um, no, no, Pfizer. Kaiser Permanente. Yes. 13. 
if somebody would have predicted this 10 years ago, there was, look, you know, I mean, this is my proof. It's on YouTube. It's gone viral. Millions and millions of views. When I said on Bill Maher's show, you know, the left says that men menstruate, he started laughing at me. Who says that? And within a year, that if you didn't say men menstruate, you were considered transphobic. The speed with which people accept the absurd uh, is frightening. But but my, my question to you, it's a big one, and, and I'm not sure, that, well, I'm sure there isn't one objective answer, but I'm still curious because you're you. Do you think that, I don't even think half, but do you think some serious percentage of your generation in America is aware of how crazy we've become? Okay, let's get back to uh, Nick. Resolution is passed. There are nine resolutions. One of them was this. When it was finally passed, the language only said me and yay. It didn't say Milo. And I said, that's weird. I thought I saw in the initial report that his name was on there. I thought it was three of us. Honestly, though, I wasn't mad about it because it's like Milo shouldn't get the anti-Semitic credentials because he's Jewish and he's not even anti-Semitic at all. So I'm like, so I was actually kind of, that's why I remember because I, I saw the initial report about the draft resolution and I said, that's bullshit. He shouldn't be on there. He's, he's Jewish. Well, he didn't make it to the final resolution that, that wound up passing. And we find out the same day that that's because he sent a letter to the RNC saying to them that actually he shouldn't be included in it because he's Jewish and he's got Jewish ancestors and he's not an anti-Semite like yeah, and Nick. And he talks about how uh, he's got Jewish donors and Jewish friends and all this. Really? Which is like not surprising at all. And so I do a show and I say, yeah, you know, that's a really nasty thing to do, you know, to throw everybody under the bus like that. Um, you know, jokes aside, because I'm joking a little bit when I say he doesn't have the credentials and all this. Uh, but it is like throwing us under the bus. He was very much a part of the A24 for two weeks with me. With, he was in the room when all these conversations were happening. And for him to then go out uh, to the RNC, uh, the RNC of all places, like fuck the RNC, for him to go to them and say, oh, I'm not anti-Semitic. No, they are. They, he said some ridiculous thing in the letter. He said, true anti-Semites can't acknowledge that there are such things as good Jews because it's such an impediment to their racial prejudice. Seriously? What a joke. You know, I'm friends with Jewish people. I'm, I'm a fan of guys like Ron Oons and Paul Gottfried and Darren Beatty. Uh, I mean, what, just what an ignorant thing to say. That's like, oh, but it's typical of his ilk. Anyway, so I put him on blast on my show. I say, you know, that's a really rotten, underhanded thing to do. Way to throw everybody under the bus like that. I guess he didn't hear about it for a month. And then he comes on his Telegram and he's posting my text messages and he's telling all these, oh, Nick's not a real Catholic. Nick, ridiculous things like Nick is uh, not a painter. He doesn't draw. He's not an artist. This and that. He's, he's actually 5'7". He lies about his height. And then just throwing everything at the wall to see what will stick. And then he comes up with the story about Ali Alexander or Ali Akbar. And he says, oh, uh, you know, Ali is an abuser of young boys and Nick covered it up. There's just one problem with the story here, which is that Milo has been sitting on that story for over a year. There were times throughout last year when Ali would say, or rather Milo would say, hey, Nick, you know, you got to disavow Ali. And I would say, why? Well, because I have all these accusers and all this stuff is going on. And I would say, really? Well, where's the proof? I'd love to see it. I'll be the first one to disavow. That'd be a big problem. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. And I'd say, okay, well, you know, when it comes out, I'll disavow. I'll be the first one. But I told them, and I have the text conversation as well. I said, I don't disavow people based on rumors. I said, you don't even like Ali. I said, you hate Ali. So you hate him. You tell me he's a pedo or whatever. I'm like, you know, and, and maybe that's true. You say you have evidence, but you won't show anybody. I said, I'm not going to disavow somebody based on a rumor. Ali, you know, things have come out recently, but he was always sticking his neck out for me early on when a lot of people wouldn't, when I got canceled back in 2017 and nobody wanted to touch me with a 10-foot pole. So I said, I'm not going to throw this guy under the bus because you say so. I mean, you want me to throw Laura Loomer under the bus. He wanted me to throw JLP under the bus. You got to disavow Jesse Lee Peterson. Why? Well, there's 20 accusers. They're all going to come out against him. And then there were like three guys and they're all on drugs and they had no proof. They're just like, oh yeah, like this is all happening. Really? Where's the proof? Oh, you got to disavow Laura Loomer. She's crazy. She's on drugs. This and that. Seriously? I know Laura Loomer. She's brilliant. She's tough. Seriously? He wanted me to disavow her because Karen Giorno quit her campaign. Karen Giorno's a Zionist. Karen Giorno's a hardcore phylo-Semite Zionist. I'm like, so let me get this straight. You told me that I need to preemptively disavow Jesse Lee Peterson, and he turned out to be innocent, and he's a, he's a good guy, and he spoke at my conference, and everything. I said, so that was bullshit. I go, you want me to disavow Laura Loomer because you have some axe to grind with her, 
after Karen Giorno betrayed her. And Karen Giorno betrayed me. And Karen Giorno's a hardcore Zio shill. She told me a couple years ago that I should change my show because America First is anti-Semitic, literally. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to disavow Laura Loomer because Karen Giorno said so. Karen Giorno said America First is anti-Semitic. No thanks. So you got to put yourself in my shoes. So Milo says, well, now you got to disavow Ali. Really? That all sounds terrible. Where's the proof? Oh, well, you know, it'll come out eventually. Really? Oh, just like the rest of it, right? So I said, well, when it comes out, then it'll be a big problem. Well, I'll construct a timeline for you. So unbeknownst to me, last year in February 2022, this Roiper named uh, Smiley goes to Milo and says that Ali had sexted him in 2017, now six years ago, way before America first existed, way before AFPAC or anything. I mean, this happened when I was in college. Um, so Smiley tells Milo in February 2022, hey, uh, you know, Ali sexted me, sent me very inappropriate text messages. Milo doesn't tell anybody. He listens to the story and then he zips his lips shut and never says anything about it. Now, in April, we have a conversation where Ali says, you know, I have all these accusers. I said, where's the proof? He doesn't show any. He knew about this story. We had another conversation in October. I have all these witnesses. I have all these accusers. I said, really? Where's the proof? Doesn't show any. He has the story. He's sitting on the story. So now this week, this Groyper Smiley is unmasked by Milo. Milo posts all these screenshots where uh, Ali is sending inappropriate messages to Smiley six years ago. And Milo says, well, you covered this up. So I reach out to Smiley and I say, hey, man, why didn't you tell me? This is the first time hearing about this. And he goes, well, you know, I was really ashamed. I was really embarrassed about it. He goes, I, I talked to Ali. I sent him nudes because I thought it would help my political career. I didn't protest. I just went with it. So I was very embarrassed about it. I didn't want to tell you. I said, well, I said, you see what's going on now. I said, uh, so I ask him all these questions. I, I basically interview him. I get to the bottom of it. And here's the timeline. So Smiley tells a story to Milo a year ago. That's the end of it. Milo doesn't reach out after that. Milo texts him one week ago on April 7th and says, hey, Smiley, can I get those screenshots? Smiley says, no, I'd, I'd rather not. I'll, or Milo calls Smiley on the phone and says, listen, I'll, you got to take Ali out. We got to protect other people. This is bigger than you and me, blah, blah, blah. Smiley says, okay, well, as long as you don't unmask me, as long as you don't reveal my identity, you know, you can post it. Reluctantly, he agrees. Milo posts it and totally unmasks him, totally doxes him, posts a, a clip with his voice. He was on a podcast recently. And so I'm thinking to myself, so wait a second. You're telling me that Milo had this story for 14 months, hasn't told anybody, anybody about it for 14 months until last week he picks up the phone and says, hey, can I get that evidence real quick? Then posts it and then says, oh, well, uh, you know, Nick covered it up. Well, you know that, and I get it. You know, that, that's the oldest trick in the book, right? People get called pedophiles. Oh, you know, you're a pedophile, you're a pedophile, whatever. I saw those text messages for the first time on Wednesday. I immediately disavowed. I immediately went on my show. It was talked about in the chat. And I said, that is disgusting. I absolutely disavow. That should never happen again. I went that night. And okay, so I've read. Uh, Chuck Johnson's Substack post for 2023. I want to conclude tonight's show with a few lines from Chuck Johnson's analysis of Joe Biden's State of the Union. Here is a deeply empathetic president who was in command. Let us lay out the arguments against Joe Biden. They tell us he doesn't speak right, that he's old, that he's infirm, that he's senile, that he can't get it done, that he's in decline. Well, tonight, those critiques all melted away. For now, our government is in safe hands, and that's all that really matters. President Joe Biden is the man for this moment. Long may the moment last, and may he. Right. That's uh, Chuck Johnson, who was a huge Donald Trump supporter, now a huge Joe Biden supporter. A lot of interesting things on Chuck Johnson's Substack. Uh, it seems to me the ratio is about uh, 5 to 10 to 1 craziness to you know every useful insight that's it take care good shabbos bye bye